I'm Diana, and I love printing and design, typography and branding, books and publishing. I've traveled the world learning about trends to share with my students and with my readers. But I haven't forgotten where I started, writing papers about paper on paper. And now, I've created a podcast to share what I know with you. So, let's talk paper scissors. It was a warm spring day in the town of Mainz, Germany, where rays of sun danced around the clouds that cast shadows on the ground. There was nothing particularly remarkable about that day. Men and women, boys and girls, walked along the cobbled streets, going about their daily lives. But it was also no ordinary day. In fact, it was quite extraordinary. Because in front of me, inside a vault and beneath bulletproof glass, lay one of 49 remaining copies of the world's first printed book, the Gutenberg Bible. As silly as it seems for a book to overcome you, the sheer magnitude of the object before me caught in my throat and I nearly cried. I owe my profession to you. I owe my education to you. We owe our technology and communities and current place in time to you. It was extraordinary. But to understand this story, we need to back up nearly 500 years. Johannes Gutenberg was a businessman who lived in 15th century Germany. He was named Time Magazine's Man of the Millennium, and his work was credited as the most important of the last 1,000 years. Now, although he deserves huge recognition because of, really, our world would not be as we know it today if it were not for him, it's a common misconception to say that he invented the printing press, which is often what he's credited with inventing. Instead, he commercialized it. It's a subtle distinction, but a very important one, so let me explain. You see, he took existing technologies, so a press for making wine, paper, which was invented more than a century earlier, and movable type, that can be traced back more than three centuries earlier, and he took all of those things and gave birth to the mass production of books. Really what he saw was an opportunity to make money in books, to speed up and radically alter the bookmaking process, and before Gutenberg came on the scene, books were all written by hand. And I think it's somewhat ironic that the world's richest man today, Jeff Bezos, got his start in exactly the same way as Gutenberg, selling books. However, Gutenberg's financial fate did not end in riches, and I'll explain a little bit more about that in a minute. So it would sometimes take months and even years for the text in a single manuscript to be copied. And after all that work, there were two books. Two. That's it. So this obviously made books of the day very, very expensive and available only to those who could afford them. However, it's also a misconception that most people of the time were illiterate. So yes, literacy rates improved because of the access to less expensive printed books. However, most adults were taught to read basic words in their local dialect. So this meant that they knew enough to be able to read a contract and get by in business, for example. While Gutenberg didn't truly invent the printing press, one critical component to the process that he did invent was a device used to make, or cast, the metal movable type. Now, movable type is kind of like the letter tiles of a Scrabble game board. Each letter exists in its own 
little tile, and they can be rearranged in any order to spell different words. And that's exactly what movable type is, but the letters were raised, similar to the way a rubber stamps image is raised, so that when all the letters were in place, ink was applied to the surface of the letters, paper was laid over top, and pressure was applied from above to transfer the ink onto the paper. It's simple technology in our eyes today. It's basically a craft project that every kindergartner does at some point in their playtime career. But 500 years ago, it was really revolutionary. Let's get back to Gutenberg's movable type maker. So he invented a little handheld device that contained what's called a matrix and a patrix, a male and a female mold of a letter of the alphabet. So when hot molten lead was poured into the mold, a piece of movable type was formed. The letter was popped out, the mold was reset, and more lead was poured in to create another piece of type, the exact same one. So this was done over and over and over again for each letter of the alphabet. What this process did is it ensured consistency from one letter to the next. All of the E's looked identical, for example. Now with enough letters, it allowed Gutenberg to arrange type to form words that then formed sentences, that formed paragraphs, that formed pages to create books. So although the concept of movable type was not new, the ability to create consistent and uniform pieces of type in a relatively quick and easy way, his mold system, this was vitally important to the process. There were approximately 25 people working with Gutenberg in his print shop, and this was considered a fairly large company in the town of Mainz that only had 6,000 people living there. Also, he had a really modern way of thinking about jobs and about salaries. He separated the jobs into titles with different salaries depending on what job you had. So for example, children were employed to move paper and add wood to the fire, and they were paid very little, it was unskilled labor, while typesetters, who had to be literate to do their job, were paid much better. Gutenberg completed his first book project after raising the funds for all 180 copies in advance of printing, so it was basically the world's first successful Kickstarter campaign. The book was a Bible, which was completed in and around the year 1455. The book was laid out with columns of text that each have 42 lines, which is why it's often referred to as the 42-line Bible. The book was of very high quality, and it showed really great consistency of printing throughout all 1,286 pages. Black Letter, the typeface designed by Gutenberg and used throughout the Bible, was created to mimic the handwritten characters found in previously scribed works. So basically, he ripped off the handwritten style of, of the scribes who came before him. Here are a few more Gutenberg Bible facts. So the Bible existed over two large volumes. The page count was too high for it to be one single book. So it existed in as two copies or two volumes of the same book. Although 180 books were produced originally, only 49 still exist today and only 20 as complete copies. There were two versions of the book, one printed on paper and one printed on vellum. And vellum is animal skin, which would have cost a lot more to produce. 
the two volumes came unbound. So recipients of the Bible would have had to take it to a bookbinder after receiving their copy to actually have the book, uh, have a cover placed on the book for protection reasons. Also, the pages were printed only with black ink. So if you ever do get a chance to see a copy and you notice that there is color on the pages, it was, that color was added later on. So color typically was added for, uh, into the drop caps. So those big letters right at the beginning of a paragraph uh, for, for stylistic reasons. And any other flourishes in the margins would have been added later by hand by someone called an illuminator. Best, best name ever, best title ever. So the illuminator would go in and by hand add these decorative flourishes. It would have been far too expensive to print that th those colors uh, in the day because each color requires a separate pass through the press, a separate press run. So it was printed black only for uh, really for, for monetary reasons. And because of this, no two Bibles were the same. So the copies that still, still exist today, you could go on a world tour to visit all 49 copies that still exist and no two Bibles would actually look the same. Each one looks a little bit different. If you want to get a more visual sense of what I just referred to and have a look at the book on screen, I recommend watching an excellent documentary called The Machine That Made Us. And actor Stephen Fry, he's a British actor, retraces Gutenberg's footsteps and he uses the tools of the 15th century in an attempt to reconstruct Gutenberg's processes and technologies. It's a really interesting watch. Over the next 50 years, there was an explosion of printing throughout Europe. Before the year 1455, there were no printed books. But by the year 1500, there were approximately 10 million copies of 3,500 unique works all around the world. This was an unprecedented amount of technical and social knowledge that was now in the world, in the hands of people who never before could have afforded their own books. At this point in history, the word novel literally meant that it was new and had never been seen. So printing was so widespread and there was all of a sudden this huge excess capacity on printing presses. And what that enabled printers to do was really something revolutionary. They started printing works other than religious texts. So works that people had never read before. They printed novels. It's safe to say that Gutenberg's work revolutionized communication changing the course of history for all future inhabitants of this planet. We're all deeply connected to Gutenberg's technology anytime we read something on paper or even on a screen. However, beyond the obvious connections to literacy and the written word, Gutenberg's work has enabled humans to share information and spread knowledge and build societies in ways that would have not been possible without having a way to mass produce books. Thank you, Mr. G. But Gutenberg's story doesn't end right there. His story did not end in complete fame and fortune. He was said to be a paranoid character who concerned himself in some shady dealings. His path to commercializing printing might even be seen as a get-rich-quick scheme. He invented technologies that would help successfully commercialize bookmaking, and he printed stuff that people wanted to buy to turn a profit. But ultimately, 
What happened to him is he ran out of money before he could get his idea truly off the ground. So he turned to a wealthy lawyer, or an angel investor in today's lingo, named Johann Fust to help him launch the business. Before his idea could really get off the ground, though, uh, Fust sued him for the money that he had loaned Gutenberg, plus interest, forcing Gutenberg into bankruptcy. Fust got the print shop and the press. He then hired Peter Schoeffer, and this was Gutenberg's right-hand man and technical guru who ran the press, basically my Scott Millward. And the two continued to print books and make lots of money in the process. But no matter how paranoid or shady or poor, the reality is that Gutenberg was an inventive man who brought the first true printed book into this world. And in 2016, I had the rare opportunity to see this book firsthand. It was an incredible experience. And I have something exciting to share with you. Through the power and magic of technology, you too can see the extraordinary thing I saw that day. Now, what am I talking about? Well, anyone anywhere in the world with an internet connection can look at the Gutenberg Bible right now. Unreal. So the Harry Ransom Center at the University of Texas at Austin has scanned their complete copy of the Bible to be accessible to the world. So check it out at www.hrc.utexas. Dot edu forward slash Gutenberg dash Bible. Now, that's a, a pretty long web address. So I've included this link in the show notes at talkpaperscissors.info. So head over to talkpaperscissors.info and you can access that link right there. Now, in taking a page right out of Michael Scott's book, today's quote comes to us from season two, episode four. So Michael Scott, regional manager, Dunder Mifflin Scranton, is talking about one of his employees, his temp worker, Ryan, who he finds out is taking night classes in business school. Here goes. When I was Ryan's age, I worked in a fast food restaurant to save up money for school. And then I lost it in a pyramid scheme. But I learned more about business right then and there than business school would ever teach me. Here's to the OG businessmen like Johannes Gutenberg and Michael Scott, who are writing our futures and figuring it out as they go along. And there you have it. Another episode is in the books. Thanks for hanging out with me, and I look forward to the next time we get to talk paper scissors. (music) 